You are listening to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and read by Matt Erzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, That Homeless, Part 1. Somewhere once, in a city that forgot to stay clean. It was in the night that he came back to them. The stranger they called, that homeless. His return was preceded by a curse that overtook the neighborhood of Almer's Way. The curse was a pillar of dark and foreboding cloud that suddenly appeared in the sky over the neighborhood. It slowly collected after dusk in small, thin tendrils that wound like threads through the streets and back alleys of the neighborhood. When it was fully formed, it appeared as a dark, clumping mass of smog that then rapidly began to amass and take shape. It descended between tall buildings and homes and upon the simple people of the neighborhood growing down from the sky, forming like an insect's pupa, dangling to the ground. It was as if it was made from the pollution of the city itself, a caustic haze that choked out the air and traveled independently from the night sky, dulling the dotted silver lights from downtown distinct Poplar and the other neighborhoods that surrounded it as if to come and claim this particular neighborhood of Almer's Way for itself. It spilled across the neighborhood uncontrolled and uncontested, rolling over the very concrete, the cars, street signs, and the people who stood outside watching in fear as it descended upon them. Men and women stood outside their homes and businesses with wide eyes watching it engulf everything around them as it passed. The cloud made its way through the neighborhood's alleys and side streets, expelling itself into the very homes of the people who lived in Almer's Way, invading through windows left open, cracks in the walls, and old chimney stacks. Eventually, the caustic haze blanketed every street and every street corner, every block with every home and every storefront, sticking to the neighborhood like a noxious film attaching itself to everything and refusing to let go. Like a wall of thick, evil smoke that no breeze or stiff wind could send away. Every man of Almer's way became sick, collapsing over their arms, clutching their belly in pain. Their heads laid in the laps of the women who shifted nervously in the presence of blank stares looking back at them. Lost were their eyes, their skin became ashen and white. Mouths began to go slack, tongues fell from between teeth, 
and lolled out from between pale lips, swollen and colored like liver. Helpless, the men were carried home on the broad-shouldered backs of wives and mothers, of sisters and aunties, of daughters and nieces. A lumbering parade that patiently proceeded along in a one-by-one line of sick and powerless, step-by-step for husbands, step-by-step for brothers and sons, step-by-step for uncles and nephews and cousins, one-by-one to be put to bed under thick green army blankets and wrapped up tight in old family quilts to warm their shivering bones. The women of Almer's Way gave their men medicine, sticky syrups and gelatin pills, tablets that fizzled in water and chalky pink liquid. They stirred their fireplaces and raised their thermostats to warm cold flesh. Whispering prayers, they waited for phone lines that seemed out of order and cell connections that seemed to die instantaneously, but it was no use. The mouths of their men only spoke nonsense, and there was nobody present who could make sense of their words. The women eventually grew too anxious for their own good. Time became a matter of itself. All of the sick husbands, brothers, and sons began to worsen. That was when the stranger they called that homeless returned to them, but this time he was not alone. He returned dubiously from his trip to the old abandoned house on Clemens Street. When he had come to the neighborhood in the last week, he was just a passing drifter. He ate with the other men and drank with them before he was on his way. He had said very little before he had departed, and nobody had discerned much about him. He came to be known as That Homeless, which was what anyone had offered to call him. Do you remember that homeless? They had gossiped. What did he want with that old house on Clemens Street? Nobody knew for sure, just that he had been headed here with insufferable indignation and driven with a strict and determined purpose. Now, he had returned to the neighborhood, and it was sudden and unexpected. An ominous and oversized silhouette floated through the face of the very fumes that had beset the people of Almer's Way, something they thought was a trick of the fading city lights around them, like an enormous shadow that was cast from the last rays of the neon hum and glow of surrounding street lights and electronic billboards. A shade, that's what they thought he was at first, a shade that loomed ominously above the approaching man that they had dubbed that homeless, walking exactly as he did, imitating exactly what he was, following exactly where he went. The shadow was him, and he was it, and he was overlooking them all with a strange, empty glare. By the hand, the man pulled a boy who looked older than his years, about the age of twelve or thirteen. The boy gradually followed, but spoke to the air as if another person also walked beside them. That homeless's other hand was empty, where before there had been a makeshift dagger that he would never have let go. Something some of the men had called shiv, 
something that he had arrived with the first time, something he had taken with him to the house on Clemens Street, but had not made the trip back. The women could hear the boy as he excitedly spoke to the nothing and the nobody. That's what they called it here, when the simple-minded spoke to nobody in particular, when those under duress of thought seemed to speak to only themselves, when children chided with their imaginary friends, the nothing and the nobody. The boy's voice was like the shrill call of a bird that sung to them, a call that echoed from building to building and from home to home. It called the women from the bedsides of those that they cared for, taunting them with its very existence, the boy's very words transforming into a lure that could not be resisted. A healthy boy, it called to them, a happy boy who was not sick. Come see, come see. So the women did come to see him, overcome with their grief and curiosity. That homeless drugged the boy around and around the neighborhood, leading him hastily into the proper, where all the women gathered to receive them. There he stood in the mercy of their fear and expectations as they swarmed him with questions and called to him for answers. However, they would get nothing from the man but the same disparaging stare. It was as if he were intoxicated or out of his mind, in the way that his eyes met each of them and yet appeared to do nothing more, no register, no recognition, no semblance of acknowledgement or thought. And when they recognized this, the women's questions and demands rapidly fell away, until that homeless and the women of Almer's Way stared at each other in complete silence. Then he made his way to the pub, the one with the dozen glowing neon beer signs, purple blinking bull's heads, red bottles that poured yellow liquid, green dancing palm trees, and women in glowing purple skirts. It was the place where he had spent all of his time before, when he had been here last, drinking heavily, eating as much as he could, and staring at the waitresses and their plump bottoms. But he only spoke when he was spoken to, and made his time into his own without much conversation. Now he released the boy, and sat by himself in silence, in an otherwise empty room, waiting for something to happen. The pub with a dozen blinking neon signs was a long, old, beat-up hole in the wall, a single room that smelled of rotting wood and mildew that forced him to keep the door open wide when the weather was warm. There were old bar stools and touch-screen games on ancient monitors with faded displays, but now it was eerily empty and nobody made use of them. Without the men who had been here before, the pub was like a cursed place. Its patrons were now all in bed sick, but that homeless seemed none the wiser as he set grimy hands absently on the bar, directly into soppy puddles of old beer. He didn't even seem to care as the stale liquid began trickling down his elbows, drip, drip, dripping a tempo that splattered onto his sneakers, old, dirty, riddled with holes and exposed stitching. Drip, 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 
the moments passed and the man did nothing. The women of the neighborhood took turns pressing their faces and palms to the glass windows, observing that homeless as they feverishly whispered to each other. Yet the man sat with his back to them, paying no heed. The boy, they found, had stayed in his place, sitting cross on a bar stool, spiraling with his fingers through a thin layer of nicotine film he found on a touchscreen video game, the kind of machine that ran poker and slots and titty touch. The women didn't know what to make of it all, the man and his boy, so they stood in a circle, the sides of their faces pressed so close that they could smell each other's breath, so close that they could tell each other apart by the smells of coffee, cigarettes, mint, garlic, mucus, and soup. I remember him, said the eldest of these women. Her skin looked like tanned leather, her hair the color of snow. Shrunken claws were there had once been healthy fingers, and her bad breath smelled like old soup. Four days ago, she recollected, said he was here to follow up on an address. Nodding heads from the other women confirmed that they all remembered that homeless, whom had written the address on the back piece of an old pizza box with torn edges. The address of that old abandoned house on Clemens Street, the ruined home with two empty lots on either side, where the weeds grew thick and high, the place that nobody went, not even those gangers or the squatter kids. But that homeless sure went there, with his makeshift weapon that some of the men had called Shiv. Who will go speak with him? she asked. We need to know why these two are not affected by the poison in the air. But all she was given was blank stares. They were afraid of him, afraid of what might happen next, terrified to do nothing, so that nothing would get better, so that nothing would not get worse. But the eldest had never been timid or cautious. She pushed past them, entering the pub to speak to that homeless. On her way, she passed the boy with the bird-chirp voice, who looked up and smiled at her politely. A gap-toothed grin that accompanied full cheeks splotched with color of cherry-flavored cough syrup. It was almost as if on cue. Good evening, ma'am, he greeted her, rising and bowing to her, touching his forehead like he held a cap, like a gentleman. The eldest froze in her feet, for the gesture was fitting for another time and place. The way all people used to greet one another when she herself was a young girl, not much older than the boy. Nowadays, folks shook hands and children waved and smiled. Certainly this is not what she expected. Not now, and certainly not from this young man. And as she stood there pondering him, the boy returned to his video game on the old pub screens, running his fingers along the screen of filthy displays, all formality soon forgotten. It was in this moment that she had a chance with a better look of the boy and noticed the similarity between him and the man. The boy looked uncannily like the other. To her, there was no doubt that it was his offspring. It was the man's broad brow, his jutting cheekbones, 
his pronounced and budded chin, all insulated with the baby fat of youth when the boy wore the features for himself. On the man, this appearance was weathered and worn in with age and fair use. With the boy there was something remarkably innocent, added in the child's eyes, vibrant like the aluminum green on a soda can, instead of the cold, muted tone of dying leaves of his father. However, there was something else there, something she sensed about the boy that no young person would normally possess. There was an acute sense of his surroundings that was not his own. The boy would suddenly be attentive, as if instructed to do something by an invisible guiding hand, something that caused the boy to suddenly pay attention from his game of titty-touch on the pub screen video display. He also somehow knew to wipe the dripping beer from the arms of that homeless as the man rested in the mess. The boy knew that there were rags for cleaning behind the bar as if someone had told him to retrieve them, but she could not see by whom. When it was done, the boy would return to his game as if nothing had happened, comparing screens of naked women and suggestive poses, withheld different items to be compared and discovered between the two the kind of pub game that was meant for drunk men who wanted to try their hand at discovering what didn't belong between two images. But the boy knew the game, knew it as if he had played it before, and played it for years, knew how to bypass the part of it which was meant to keep away the age inappropriate. Something was with the boy, whispering in his ear, something that left her entirely unsettled, as she turned her attention to that homeless. Standing behind the man's shoulder, she spoke into his ear with lips like orange peels and breath that smelled like cream of something soup gone bad. Greetings, stranger. I see you have joined us again. But the man said nothing. He simply sat with his back to her. I see you have returned from the old house you sought, the place where nobody dares set foot. But that homeless did not answer. So she tried something else. I see you've brought this boy back with you. I can tell a resemblance between you. You are his father. Still no answer. The eldest of the women tried again. Surely, stranger, you have noticed that there are no men about tonight. Nobody to stop you from coming back here. No questions on the street. No bartender to pour your drink. This does not raise your curiosity. Again. No answer, and the eldest returned to the streets with nothing. What can we do? they asked her, the women who huddled together, looking to the eldest for answers that she did not have. But that didn't mean much to the old woman. She knew that the only hope they had to save their men was to discover the stranger's secret. Why he and his boy were healthy while theirs laid sick and dying. He is that homeless, 
she offered. A drifter. A squatter. A vagabond. Referring to the neglect of the stranger's clothes. And his unwashed skin. Dirt across his forehead and the sooty tips of his sharp jutting cheeks. Vermilion-colored jeans with holes covered in patches, and a set of old blue suspenders over a lime-green button-down work shirt. But most noticeably, it was the large pink bubble jacket around his shoulders that seemed to swallow him up whole. We must offer him something to loosen his tongue. The eldest cupped her bony chin with her bony fingers. He sits unattended in the pub, she surmised. Perhaps he won't speak until he's had something to drink or something to eat. The eldest called for two women from the crowd, the one whose breath that smelled like garlic and the one whose breath that smelled like coffee. She instructed them to search for all the food that they could find and prepare it in the shortest amount of time for their guest. So the women went to each home in Almer's way and into each home's freezer. With a large sack, they emptied everything they could find that a person could prepare in 45 minutes or less. A feast in order for that homeless, prepared hastily, using everything the women could get their hands on. Frozen pizzas, reheated breakfast burritos, teriyaki-flavored burger rolls, meat pockets with nacho cheese filling, and frozen chili cheese hot dogs wrapped in syrup-soaked pancakes, reheated to be perfectly lukewarm. TV dinners, extra big for men who were typically hungrier than the average, and cookie dough ice cream sandwiches for dessert. To drink, they served him cans of cheap beer, orange soda pop, sweet lemonade, glasses of wine from a box, and steaming mugs of instant coffee. But the meal sat in front of him, unnoticed and untouched. That homeless paid no heed, no salivation, no growling stomach, no words in response when the eldest asked him another question. Why do our men grow sicker by the hour, and you remain unscathed? She whispered into his ear with sharp words. Eat, she hissed, spoken like knives sharpened upon stones. Eat what we have offered you, and reveal to me your secret. When that homeless said nothing, she reconvened with the women outside, trembling from a sudden and unseasonable chill, for the cloud that suffocated the neighborhood seemed to now repel the very heat from the surrounding city, allowing nothing in, a haze of nothingness that allowed no light, no heat, no fresh air to permeate its dark exterior. Perhaps it's not food that he craves, ventured the eldest with chattering teeth, but company. The eldest called from the crowd the woman whose breath smelled like mint, the most beautiful woman in the neighborhood, proven by the popular opinion of almost everyone that had ever met her, 
As a young woman, she had won many competitions for grace and beauty and put Almer's way on the lips and tongues of every citizen of distinct poplar. They called her Miss Willing Rose for her inspiration to always do that which must be done. She served the highest office of government as an ambassador to the people. She starred in many local car commercials and was highly sought for her presence during the grand openings of citywide businesses. For a time, she even wore a fine jeweled crown and a large yellow cape everywhere she went. And now she was retired and back amongst her neighbors. However, she had weathered a host of admirers, a succession of jealous husbands and five virtuous and graceful daughters, each of them young pageant prodigies in their own right. Now each daughter encircled her, Miss Willing Rose, holding each other's hands like a string of paper dolls taut between small, trembling fingers. But their mother wanted desperately to put an end to this sickness afflicting their men. So she agreed to appeal to that homeless in exchange for his secrets. The boy was taken from the pub to wait in the street with the others. They tried putting blankets around him and offered him candy. It was overly motherly to him, off-putting in a way that disturbed their seemingly sensible nature and morality, as if they were betraying their own sick and unhealthy sons to give him their desperate attention, all of which he politely refused, with more formality than was beyond his age. Afterwards, they turned back to the light of the pub, which spilled out into the dismal dark overcast in a blue and pink wash. Miss Willing Rose awkwardly approached that homeless, knowing full well that all of the women's eyes were watching intently. With mint-flavored whispers spoken into the stranger's ears, she promised him what she thought he desired, though it would only be in exchange for his secrets. But there was no response to her advances. So much that slow, even breaths and blinking eyes were the only signs that marked him as living. Miss Willing Rose had failed to do what she had always done effortlessly and returned to the others weeping, for the time had grown short, and the men of the neighborhood were not long for the bringer of death. The eldest had run out of options. There were not many things that a man needed to live on that she was aware of. A man needed to gorge himself, and that homeless did not. A man needed company, and that homeless did not. A man needed also to be overcome with unruly violence. And she wondered about that for a moment. Wondered if that homeless yearned for bloodshed in some unspeakable way. She wondered if that was why he went to the old abandoned house on Clemens Street. She also wondered... What more she could ask of the others? What could be offered to the man? A life to be taken? A desperate sacrifice for that which kept the homeless and his young son so healthy? While the others awaited the bringer of death? The one that the people of Almer's Way called the wicked, wretched. But maybe she couldn't ask this of any other woman, but instead she could offer it to him herself for she was the neighborhood's eldest 
No other woman was as old as she, and no man had ever outlived the eldest. But before she was about to offer her life to the stranger, if it meant saving the lives of their men, she heard the shrill words of the boy who still stood outside of the pub. She couldn't help but refocus her attention back on the young man and the way he spoke to the nothing and the nobody. Yet the more she observed him, it seemed as though the boy was not speaking to himself this time. A daughter of Miss Willing Rose, the woman whose breath smelled like mint, had left the sighs of her sisters and approached the boy. She was thirteen and beautiful like her mother, auburn hair, a round face, and large bright eyes that watched the boy with avid curiosity. Her prim and proper dress was betrayed by a dozen disorganized bracelets that clung to her wrists. "'What's your name?' she asked him, and the boy looked confused. "'I don't know,' he stated. "'What's yours?' Kel, she told him, without skipping a beat. I can't believe you don't have a name. She sounded so disappointed. Embarrassed by this sudden revelation, the boy fidgeted uncomfortably. Kel noticed this and said, Don't worry, you look like a Beely. What's a Beely? he asked. It's a name, she told him. And now it's your name. The boy was surprisingly okay with this. As the eldest observed, he smiled and nodded his head in agreement. I am a Beely, he told the girl. Also, he said, after a short pause, It's a pleasure to meet you. You've been listening to That Homeless, Part 1, by Matt Herzberg. Copyright October 4th, 2017, from distinctpoplar.com. Music for this episode was done by Kevin McLeod. You can find more information in the description for this episode. For more stories like this one, as well as ebooks and other features of the city that forgot to stay clean, visit us online at distinctpoplar.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Distinct Poplar, as well as our Facebook page and YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash distinct poplar. <laughs>